On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Hamilton as a Hollywood North venue. Lots and lots and lots of movies and TV shows and other things being shot here, even with the pandemic year. We've done well in 2020. Why is Hamilton such a desirable site, desirable city for filming? We're going to talk to someone about that one. We're also talking to the mayor about an announcement on housing today, $10.8 million coming to the city to build 45 housing units. It's a big number. It's a big announcement. And yet in some ways it's a drop in the bucket, but it is still at least a place to start. We're going to be talking to the mayor about that one. And then Zach Caleros, former Ticat quarterback, now Winnipeg Blue Bombers, great cup winning quarterback, joins us to talk about a drive, a fundraising, food food collecting drive that he is involved in here in the area. Stick with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We know, uh, you know, I know, everyone knows, it's 2020. COVID has sucked the life out of a lot of stuff in town. There are a lot of businesses that are hurting. There's a lot of socializing that hasn't been done. There's a lot of sporting events that have not carried on. There's a lot of stuff that sort of died off as a result of what hap- has happened with COVID. But... One thing has survived. Now, it may not be quite at the level it was last year, but film production, while slightly down, I'd suggest is still a success story here in town. This city remains a, clearly remains a desirable area for location scouts and directors who are looking for backdrops and places to film their TV shows and movies. I want to bring in Kim Aldevez who, Aldrovez, pardon me, who is a senior project manager at the city's film office. Uh, Kim, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Scott. Am I? Now, I don't know if these numbers, I'm assuming these numbers are right. We had 111 film and TV shoots in town this year? Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, 111 distinct projects, so everything from feature films to Netflix series to documentaries. It's been a great year. What, um, for, for people, cause everyone always, I'm guessing the first question people always have is, well, who was the biggest star? Who, who were some people like what was shot here? Who were some big name people who came to town? Do you, are any off the tip of your tongue? Um, yeah, actually, if people check out people.com today, they'll see some shots of Elizabeth Moss shooting just yesterday, uh, in the Duran neighborhood for Handmaid's Tale. So that's kind of exciting. Um, there was a Guillermo del Toro feature called Nightmare Alley that was just here filming last week that's finished up. So that has stars like Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett and Will Defoe. Um, who else? There's a, a sort of a big Disney movie called Sneakerella that filmed here that'll be exciting to see come out that has some cool like NBA cameos and things like that. Woody Harrelson lots, was here, right? Woody Harrelson was doing a film? Woody Harrelson and Kevin Hart were filming Man from Toronto, and yeah, they had some scenes in Hamilton as well. Uh, I will say about Elizabeth Moss, since you dropped her name, and I didn't have to drop her name, uh, Elizabeth (laughs) Moss, while shooting The Handmaid's Tale a few years ago, had a very unclothed um, love scene right beside my desk, on the floor beside my desk at the Spectator newsroom, which I think, I can't prove this, but I believe it's the first and only time anyone got naked in the Spectator newsroom. But again, I cannot guarantee that that's the case. I hope it is. I, I don't want to know about anyone else who did. But anyway, um, do you, um, you're the one who helps get these things sorted out and make these things happen. Do you ever go out and take a peek and watch when they're making these movies or do you not have time for that stuff? 
<laughs> well, they keep us pretty busy. We're, we're a team. Um, I mean, there's three of us who work in the film office, and then we work with a lot of different city partners internally. But we try to get out to sets as often as we can. It's usually not as exciting as stargazing. It's usually with logistics planning and just helping to make sure they're going to be a good partner in the neighborhood and work with the businesses and minimize the impact on residents and so on. But we try to. Once in a while, we get to see something cool. (laughs) And when you then, and I'm assuming that once you've done this, probably you have greater interest in the project. So I'm guessing you probably watch on TV or watch on movies or Netflix or whatever else. Do you play the spot Hamilton game when those come on? Oh, absolutely. I think everyone who lives in Hamilton, it's just fun, right? It feels good to see your city represented up on the big screen. We do publish on our website at the city's website and the film pages all the different locations that productions have shot at and where they're going to be airing. So if anyone wants to play that game, you can join right in and try to spot them on screen. It, it do I mean, again, I, I'm asking you this cold. I didn't ask you to prepare this, but is there <laughs> a spot or a couple spots in the city that seem to be used a lot? Is there some place that they always seem to or many want to go back to? Um, yeah, there are definitely spots that are more popular, but really a big part of Hamilton's appeal is the diversity of locations. So it's it, there are certain spots that host a lot of filming. Um, Leona Banquet Center, for example, hosts a lot. The Cotton Factory, the Scottish Rite. Um, you see a lot in the industrial area. Of course, we've got um, great sort of studio facilities with Sky, uh, sorry, Skylight Stelco um, in the north end with Eon opening up. So, you know, those will be places that you see a lot as well. And Dundas is, is perennially popular. They've got their great kind of hometown look with their, with their downtown on King Street. But what really attracts people is just they can get so many different looks here. So we see mm. filming out in the country. We see filming, you know, at historic homes. We see filming in the grittier parts of the city when they want a more industrial backdrop. We see filming at really kind of upscale estates when that's all that they're going for. So that's a real strength that we have, that we have everything in kind of close proximity in Hamilton. And apparently we have everything that every Hallmark movie for Christmas ever needs. So there, there's always <laughs> that for us, too. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We have a mountain, just like in Los Angeles, just like in Hollywood. We should get a giant Hamilwood song sign right along. I mean, why not? Over 100 films this year, more than that other years. Kim, uh, Kim Adravez is a senior project manager at the city's film office. I think you should start looking into that, Kim. A giant Hamilwood sign right along the crest of the escarpment. Be fast, it'd be fantastic. <laughs> I don't know That'd if that's in your great. budget. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give, look, nobody want, nobody around here wants to give Toronto too much credit for what they do, but does this and our film industry, does it have anything to do with the proximity that we are close to Toronto and the crews can move in and out very easily? Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. We, we have very much a regional approach in the GTHA. We work collaboratively on trying to trying to make it a good overall experience for filming in Ontario for productions. So we have a provincial film commission that brings the business here and then we kind of spread it out across the regions and try to work together and, and make sure the experience is pretty seamless between Toronto and Hamilton. But I read today, and I, I find this number very hard to believe, but I'm going to throw it at you, that there are 9,000 Hamiltonians working in the film industry. Is that right? That can't possibly be right. Yeah, over 9,000 people. So I think that it's hard to kind of wrap your head around just all the jobs that are available in film. And it's actually really exciting to be 
on a set and, you know, the next time you see the cones or see a crew working, you can take a look and think about all the behind-the-scenes jobs. And the good news is they're, they're great-paying jobs. They're living-wage jobs in, in the arts. So you've got, you've got set designers and set decorators and costume designers, and you've got hairstylists and makeup artists, and then you've got all kinds of tradespeople working. You have electricians and lighting specialists and construction crews building those sets and taking them down. And you have transport teams, and you have location managers who figure out all the logistics, and you know you have caterers coming and feeding everybody. And uh, now in this day and age, you have COVID health specialists keeping keeping everyone <laughs> on track and safe. <laughs> so and that number of opportunities. Well, no, and that number, I would guess, now that we've got this new film studio opening up in the West Harbor and it's supposed to be getting bigger, I mean, that number has to be going up, right, in time, or at least anticipated? I, I think just the industry is anticipated to keep growing and growing, so there's definitely a lot of opportunity with that. How, I mean, how big could this become in our city? You say we've got the, the, you know, the sites that people like because we've got so many different looks and we've got the proximity to central Canada and all these different things. I mean, can this become a, a massive industry in the city or a big industry in the city or what would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, I would argue it's already a pretty big industry in the city. We had, you know, even with shutdown, we had production spend $53 million in Hamilton this year. Mm. That's just down slightly from $59 million last year. Um, as we mentioned, as you mentioned, there's tons of jobs. There's over 900 film-related businesses in the city and growing. And I, honestly, for me, the sky's the limit. We, we're seeing just such great momentum and more and more interest and film businesses expanding and more people wanting to get employed in that industry. And there's just more and more demand for content and production. And so that creates those opportunities. What's the response from people in town, if if you own a business and somebody comes by as a location scout or someone and says, we want to use your store or someone comes and knocks on your door, from what you hear, do most people say, absolutely love to have you shoot here? Or do people say, no, go away. I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> um, I mean, there's only some people who aren't interested, but by and large, I think that people, it's exciting. It's fun. It's an opportunity to have a different kind of revenue line coming in. So that's especially helpful Right now, when people are trying to recover, most of that, you know, that $53 million I mentioned, that's money that's spent directly in our community, and a huge part of that is location fees. So that's money that's spent directly paying those property owners or those businesses who are having the filming on their location. And, you know, it's kind of fun. It's, it's kind of fun to spot your home or your business up on the big screen doubling as something else. Uh, a crazy question, but have you ever thought, or anyone from the city, have you ever thought about putting up little plaques at the locations where stuff was filmed, because there's been so many films now. I'm, I'm, I've got this picture of, you know, people being able to do the Hamilton Hollywood map and go around for a day and visit all these locations. I bet people would love it who have the stores yeah. and stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's a great idea. I think some stores kind of advertise it. You see it a bit more in Toronto, but I think you're starting to see it a bit here where they say, you know, the home of whatever filming. Um, our tourists, my colleagues in tourism, are doing a great job of starting to pull together maps and and make it exciting for people and of course as i mentioned we pu- publish on our film pages where the locations were to help get people out there and checking things out it is uh it is fun to do the look for hamilton stuff the spot hamilton things when movies come out uh the queen's gambit which is just uh the the chess movie it's not really a chess movie what do you call it? The, yeah. the the netflix hit i mean it's a hit on netflix uh the umbrella yeah. academy yeah. bunch of others all you look for hamilton in all of them 
Yeah, and those are two great examples. Uh, Queen's Gambit filmed in the International BIA on King Street. Umbrella Academy had a ton of filming last season in the Ottawa Street BIA and in the previous season in the downtown Hamilton BIA. So it's it's great for people to be able to get out, walk around the BIAs, shop in the shops, and, and become a part of it that way. And as I say, almost every uh, Hallmark Christmas movie filmed in Hamilton, apparently. So you can always look for those as well. And I'm being a little facetious, but not really. Uh, Kim, Kim Adrevez, Senior Project Manager at the City's Film Office. Thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There was a uh, an announcement today that Hamilton is going to get a $10.8 million share of the federal government's billion-dollar rapid housing initiative coming to us, we're told, right away. And this, we are told, is going to house 53 people. $10.8 million is going to house, create 53 housing units. Um, it's certainly uh, an interest, the timing is interesting. The amount is interesting. There's a lot of different things that are interesting because we have heard an awful lot in recent days about housing in this city. We've had protests. We've had coffins laid at the mayor's front porch, which was, in my mind, completely out of line, um, just to be clear, in case anyone wasn't sure. Um, We've had a lot of stuff going on about housing in this city. But now, as I say, $10.8 million to house 53 people. That was the announcement today. Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us on the line. Mr. Mayor, thank you for doing this today. Appreciate it. Good evening, Scott. Uh, When Just to be clear, and and this may be the most obvious question you'll get all day, but just so we understand, when we talk about housing units, what what does that mean? What exactly is a housing unit? Well, I mean, it's it's either a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom unit with, uh, you know, living room and kitchen and, you know, a normal kind of rental accommodation that that you would expect to see in an apartment building or any other, uh, you know, rental residential, residential, uh, you know, accommodation. So uh, one unit is, you know, for one, one living unit, whether it's for family or for a couple or for an individual. So $10.8 million for 53 units. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money and, and maybe that's just the cost of doing business with housing and apartments and building and everything these days. But I mean, it's uh, over $200,000 a unit. Is, is that the going rate or is that, is that something different just because it's Hamilton and our real estate market has gone berserk? No, that's, uh, that's the anticipated rate for a refurbished units. These are not new builds. Uh, there's, uh, there's one... You know, modular uh, development here that's on uh, on George Street, but the rest of them are, are conversions of commercial space into into residential space, and uh, that conversion cost is uh, you know on average about two hundred thousand dollars per unit. If you were to build uh, new, uh, the cost would likely go up to three hundred thousand or more per unit cost in terms of construction costs. So if you think of you know the average condominium today. Uh, you know they're uh, they're being built and and sold upwards of uh, you know four or five hundred thousand dollars. That's uh, that that would include uh, you know obviously some profit for the builder, but uh, largely it's it's uh, construction costs that that it's made of, and their construction costs would be no different than uh, it would cost for affordable housing or any other new housing build. It's upwards of three hundred three hundred fifty uh, three hundred three hundred fifty dollars per square foot. Uh, you know, on average or higher. 
And and part of the reason I ask about the cost is 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 lar- is the bigger picture because the report today says okay so we're doing this one and this is going to get us fifty three units and that's great that we're getting started on that, mm-hmm. uh, but there are six thousand three hundred and twenty one households on the city's wait list for subsidized units and I did some rudimentary math I'm sure you're better at math than I am I guarantee you are, mm-hmm. but that's now talking in the one point three billion dollar range at this price per unit how do we even attack that? I mean, that just seems like such an overwhelming number to even contemplate. Uh, So we attack that one bite at a time and uh, with the help of our federal and provincial partners. So we've been saying all along we need a national housing strategy. Uh, that, uh, that's going to be very, very important. That is still yet to come and that uh, might, might produce uh, many millions more in terms of partnering with the city and the province in terms of generating more housing units, but you're, you're 100% right. I mean, there was an ambitious call, the, uh, you know, not too long ago for 3,000 additional units in three years. Uh, that, that is, uh, that's, that's in the billion dollars category as well. Uh, and that is, you know, our, our, our annual budget in the city of Hamilton for non-discretionary spending is about a, mil- a billion and a half. And so that's all of our budget to go to housing. So clearly that isn't doable on a municipal basis. That, that will require a partnership between federal and provincial government. Now, you know, there's a perception also, Scott, that, you know, that, that you know, these, these 6,000 folks aren't housed somewhere. They are. Uh, you know, most of those folks are living in uh, an accommodation somewhere, but they're looking to, uh, you know, be on the wait list for social housing, affordable housing through the city of Hamilton or other providers that makes it more affordable for them. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's an issue that, you know, many people want to take advantage of, and, and, you know, clearly there's a demand and need for that out there. But that doesn't mean that there are 6,000 people homeless. It doesn't mean that there are 6,000 people without a home. It just means that they're looking to uh, to improve their lot by getting into more affordable housing because they're either on social assistance, uh, having to spend uh, more of their money on housing than uh, would normally be expected, or, you know, and having to make choices between rent and food. Uh, that's certainly not a great way to live, and we ought to be able to be helpful. But it's going to be—it's going to take many partners to make that happen. But that would then suggest that the homeless population that we're also trying to put in homes is on top of that six thousand. Then, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think the homeless population is uh, is nowhere near those kind of numbers. And right now, okay, given uh, given the shelter space that's available, or given the uh, the housing units that we've made a bit available in you know former hotels and other spots. Most of the folks that are homeless could be housed, uh, but some of them are high acuity individuals that uh, that have multiple issues that they won't allow into some of these spaces because of the disruption or the addiction issues or the lack of supports that's in them. And so, uh, some of the high acuity folks, uh, you know, are probably in the handfuls, and uh, those are likely the folks that you might see out uh, out in tents. Other than folks that uh, just make that a choice, and there there are some of those individuals as well that just choose to live on their own in, the, you know, whatever space they can find rather than being in a shelter or in some other, uh, you know, controlled or managed space. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mr. Mayor, I understand this is the idea behind this is to get this thing happening reasonably quickly, correct? That's the, that's the whole point behind this? Yeah, it's rapid housing funding and the, uh, the whole idea is to get it done within a year. So that really lends itself to taking existing space and making a conversion. Otherwise, it would be you know, almost impossible to get done in a year if you had raw land somewhere and you had to build. Uh, you'd have to go through the application process. You might have to do an environmental assessment. There's all kinds of things that would come into that. So 
the whole idea is to uh, to rapidly turn I know, uh, you know, space into, you know, affordable housing units, uh, you know, as quickly as possible. So conversions uh, is the order of the day. And, you know, a lot of these, as I mentioned earlier, is conversion of existing uh, commercial space unused that uh, can be turned into housing. And so that's where the, uh, the additional cost comes in. You told the spec today that the three levels of government from 2015 to 2020 each year have contributed like $120 million a year to housing and homelessness. That's an extraordinary amount of money. Mm-hmm. Where does that money go to? Is it mostly to housing? Is it mostly to programs? Where, how do we spend $120 million a year on this? Uh, it is uh, a shelter space. It's uh, affordable housing units that are, uh, that are constructed. It's uh, housing supports. Uh, it is, uh, you know, all of those, uh, you know, if you, if you look, think of the full range of things that, uh, that need to happen to support people in housing. Uh, some of the high acuity folks, and many of them are living in, in supported housing uh, or residential care facilities or, or you know, managed, managed locations. Uh, all of those get, uh, get, get financial support to make them happen. Uh, long-term care, you know, facilities get the, often get financial support from other levels of government. Uh, there's a whole range of, uh, you know, issues that come into funding of, uh, you know, housing and the support of housing, affordable housing supports, uh, rent supplements, uh, you name it. Uh, lots of things go into uh, over that overall number. And I can tell you that over, and so I did send this out to council and some media the other day, but over the last six years, the, the grand total for spending on housing and homelessness uh, was in the order of about $760 million. Okay, the timing, and, and that, that's an enormous number. I mean, it really, I'm just trying to wrap my head around spending that much money on it, but the, the timing of this mm-hmm. uh, is obviously interesting because we know what's been going on. We know uh, the story of the coffin in front of your house and the protests in the forecourt of City Hall and the lobby of City Hall and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, did the protesters spur this announcement today? Did the protesters no. do what they wanted and get the money squeezed out of the federal government? No, not at all. This has been in the works for uh, for quite some time. Uh, you know, the national housing strategy is uh, is in the works. Uh, we've been uh, we've been spending this kind of money for, as I just mentioned, there six years, long before anybody, you know, uh, tried to make the claim that we weren't paying attention to any of these issues. Uh, long before protesters arrived uh, to uh, to to say that we ought to be you know putting more resources into into housing. Uh, this has been an ongoing, uh, you know, expense, an ongoing, uh, growing expense, an ongoing, growing issue. Uh, this is not uh, amplified, to be fair, by the pandemic. Uh, so, as a result of the pandemic, because shelters had to physically distance, uh, it forced a lot of people out of the shelters, and we had to accommodate them in other places. And as you recall, we opened up first Ontario Centre. Uh, we uh, we uh, opened up some hotel space to accommodate people that. Uh, were living rough on the streets because they weren't able to get into a shelter because of the physical distancing requirements. I mean, all of those things have been ongoing right from the beginning of the pandemic. All those issues have been amplified. And clearly the, uh, the housing strategy and the funding that we're getting now, the additional funding that we're getting from the provincial government, some of it is pandemic-related, and a lot of it was already in the queue to, uh, to come to the city uh, on an annualized basis and has been for, you know, many, many decades. Uh, you know, we, we've been getting funding from the federal government, the provincial government, and the lion's share and the breakdown for Hamilton, uh, you know, lion's share of the funding for last year was some $63 million of city money. Uh, and uh, the the balance of uh, split between the federal and provincial governments to make up the $120 million. Uh, dollars. 
Uh, on top of that, by the way, uh, we also set aside additional $50 million over 10 years to provide even more uh, housing supports. And a lot of that money has gone into retrofitting some of the housing stock that we haven't had the money to uh, to actually retrofit. So we're firing on all cylinders on the housing front. And, uh, and you know, is there more to be done? Uh, I would say yes. And we're certainly anticipating a, a broader, bigger national housing strategy that will likely pour more money into uh, local housing uh, initiatives in municipalities right across the country. We only have a few seconds, but I, I did have to mention that the uh, the Twitter page for those who were leading the protest uh, on the forecourt and whatever else for the last few days didn't give you a whole lot of credit today for this announcement. Um, does that surprise you? Does it bother you? <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, I know what my job is and I know what uh, what I need to do to uh, provide the resources and the funding to uh, to, to, to make advances in the in housing, uh, I have to tell you that, uh, you know, as, as Adam Vaughn said today at the, uh, at the announcement, uh, the MP for Toronto, and he's been a leader on housing uh, right across the country, uh, formerly from Toronto, where, you know, the housing needs are the greatest, has said that Hamilton has been on the, on the leading edge of uh, being ready to, uh, to work on and, and has been working on these national housing issues, these localized housing issues, uh, for a long, long time. And uh, we are the first to get the, the funding in place as a result of this rapid housing initiative that the federal government put forward. And the reason for that is that we're ready and we have been ready and we continue to be, and we're uh, moving on all fronts to provide housing for people in all income levels so that they can uh, have a roof over their head and we can, you know, hopefully end that scourge of uh, poverty, which I think starts with, you know, reasonable, affordable housing and uh, then helps people like uh, get reestablish their lives thereafter. Mayor Fred Eisenberg, appreciate the time today. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, look, a good announcement for sure. Uh, $10.8 million. In that, though, it worth pointing out, still 53 people are going to be housed, 6,300 still on a waiting list. Now, not homeless necessarily, waiting for subsidized housing, but this is a daunting, daunting, daunting task that is going to cost a ton of money. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in uh, a guy who, uh, a, a very familiar name around here um, for years. I can't even remember now, five years? We'll check. I, can, I think it was five years. For five years, he was the face of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He was uh, the starting quarterback. He was a guy who certainly in 2015 was well on his way to being named most outstanding player, probably leading a t- the Tiger Cats to a great cup win, which um, heaven knows it's been a while. Uh, that didn't all work out there. Things happen. But he did win his Grey Cup, sadly not with the Ticats. He beat the Ticats, which uh, I, I, I know, he may not admit it, but I know deep down he was giggling a little bit at that one. Anyway, he is now helping to raise food, to collect food for people in this area uh, with Argo's offensive lineman, Ryan Bombin. Uh, his name is Zach Caleros. He joins us now. Zach, how are you? Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I want to get into the food drive, and let me say, I'm going to say where and when at the beginning, and then we'll get to it. It's at Pete Dyakowski's business, actually, at Scholars Education, 645 Plain Street, Plains Road East in Burlington. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Uh, but when, when I heard that you were doing this with Bombin and Dyakowski is involved a little bit, this is not just a food drive to feed offensive linemen, is it? No, it isn't. And, it, um, and actually, Peter is a CEO, CEO of the, uh, the franchise. 
Ryan Bauman and I are actually the owners of this one. Oh, okay. Uh, in Burlington there on 645 Plains Road East. So, yeah, we uh, we just got the location uh, started in there in August. And, um, yeah, we, we thought for the holidays, uh, you know, what a better way to give back to the community than um, to try to raise uh, raise as much, you know, awareness toward hunger and, and feed uh, and help feed the community, right? So, uh, so yeah, we're accepting all donations. We have a, a few very large bins uh at our place of business and uh would love to see some some old hamilton tie cat fans uh you know come out and, and, and help give back to the community you know this time of the year is always tough and you know with, with what's going on uh with the pandemic it's, it's made things even harder for people so um yeah we're just we're, we're trying to help in any way that we can well, and as I say, I'm glad this is not just for offensive linemen because your inventory would last about two <laughs> meals if that was the case. Um, yeah, you Peter, do Peter though. Scouring through there the other day, you know, <laughs> you, you, you get Peter out of there. <laughs> Probably for the best. Um, everyone knows you play for Winnipeg. Now you're a Grey Cup champion. Congratulations on that, by the way. Defending Grey Cup champion with no year, you get to carry on and be a Grey Cup champion until they tell you otherwise. Um, you've also yeah, though played yeah. for Toronto. You've played for Saskatchewan. Why do this in Hamilton? Why are you still engaged and involved in this community? Well, you know, I, I, like you said there in the introduction, I was in Hamilton for four years, and, and I've been in the province now for seven, um, seven years playing and, and living here now for the last five. Uh, I met a girl from Ontario, and, and we married, and we have a child now. So my roots oh, are great. here, and, and, you know, like I said, we, uh, you know, we decided to open a business down there in Burlington, and uh, we're, just, we're trying to put our roots down there as well and, and, and meet as many people as we can and, and help as many people as we can. You know, the great thing about the CFL is that, you know, it affords you a lot of opportunities to, to, to help people. And, uh, you know, with there not being a season this year, um, you know, that the charitable aspect of things uh, has kind of been taken away from a lot of the players. And, uh, you know, we were sitting around a couple of months ago, you know, thinking to ourselves what we could do um, to kind of to help, uh, you know, to help the community of Burlington. And um, this was something that my wife found online and, and uh, we're pretty passionate about. You mentioned about your your ties to this area. Um, I mentioned off the top when I was when I was bringing you in that in 2015 you were having a year that I think unquestionably you're on route to and most outstanding player in the CFL. You were you were by far the best quarterback in the league that year. Um, probably, I mean, the team that year has a chance at going far in the playoffs, and then you suffer that torn ACL. That just, I mean, it just it sucked for you. It sucked for Ticat fans. But if that doesn't happen, yeah, we, we would have won the whole thing that year for sure, Scott. No well, you know what? We it's not a crazy thing to thing. say. <laughs> it's not a crazy no, but it's not a crazy thing to say. And you were, as I say, you were having an unbelievable year. Do you ever think, like, do, are you a what if guy? Do you ever let yourself think that? Because if that doesn't happen, I got to believe. Not only do you win that MOP, but there's a chance you're still a tie cat because you know the recovery and all that other stuff doesn't happen. Do you ever let yourself think about what if? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. That's- human it's part of being a human you know you people think about what ifs and and i definitely do you know obviously with what we had going there uh in the organization you know from a coaching from a coaching staff uh you know ownership uh president and all the way down to the locker room i I just thought we had a really really great group of guys and it's unfortunate the way that um you know 2015 ended and then and then obviously being traded away later on uh, in my time there, but yeah, I, I think about that sometimes and, uh, but it did make this year really sweet. 
I have to admit that. <laughs> well, I, I you know I got to think that it, when it you get it, it may be it may be. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> No, no, we got it. We got it. Just a tiny delay on here, but I, I do have to think when you get into the Grey Cup, if you're going to play for a Grey Cup, you may as well do it against the team that got rid of you. And and you know, I don't know a single elite athlete that doesn't have a little bit of an extra spark when that happens to prove something. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really nice for me. I, I have to admit that on a personal level, it was uh, it was very sweet going into Saskatchewan, um, you know, beating them, and then. Uh, you know, a place that I thought I was going to be my entire career, Hamilton, uh, and, and, and being traded away and then going and, and beating them. But we're, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about, you know, um, helping to feed the community. Absolutely. But, but, but it all ties in. I mean, it all ties into the fact that you do have those ties here and those years that you were here. Um, you know, there, there are some, unfortunately, some what ifs and, the, and there is some, you know, the Ticats are still waiting for, the, for their opportunity. Thanks to you. Uh, they're still waiting for their opportunity to, to get that great cup. That's, um, you know, that, that's still, it, it's still a part of the whole story here. Yeah. Well, they, I think they really have a good thing going there in Hamilton. You know, they, they brought all the coaches back from that 2015 season. And, uh, you know, I think from an offensive, defensive, uh, special teams perspective, they, they're, they're gonna, they'll do really well again with the group of guys that they have there, and Orlando's proven to be a, a fantastic head coach, and he's only going to get better because he's so so passionate about being a leader and, and being that guy. So uh, I think the future is obviously bright for Hamilton. I mean, you don't have to hear that from me. I, I'm sure I'm sure everybody there is rolling their eyes up hearing, hearing that from me, but um, <laughs> they're 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 in good hands. They have a really really good group of guys at the top. Let me ask you just one more Ticat question, then we'll move along. What's your relationship right now? Because I know a lot of people wonder this. What's your relationship right now with Simone Lawrence? <laughs> uh, it's it's good. It's fine. We uh, you guys get along okay spoke. now? I think I think we last spoke some somewhere there in the third quarter of the Grey Cup. Okay. All right. All right. Because people <laughs> will remember that was it was a little testy for a little while there with what happened, but okay. Um, yeah. What this year? It has to have been tough for all of you guys this year not to have had a season. I mean, you're again, you're out there doing good things for the community, which is fantastic and which shows a lot. But this has got to have been a really, really tough year for all of you guys. Yeah, it's definitely been tough. Um, you know, everybody that I know who's retired, you know, can say, uh, you know, re- retired from the game of football has, you know even the guys have walked away and knew they wanted to walk away and they did it on their time. You know, they still miss going out there on the field. They still miss their, you know, being in the locker room uh, with their teammates. They, they miss the, the grind of the whole thing. And, and, and obviously there's nothing like running onto the field uh, in front of a packed house. So uh, it, it's, it's definitely been an adjustment for a lot of us, uh, myself included. Um, we missed that competitiveness for sure. But, uh, you know, we're, we're all hoping – that we can get this all together and um, you know, hopefully these vaccines that they're coming out with, mm. uh, they, they work and um, we can get, get back to some kind of normalcy because, you know, this, is, uh, this has been tough for everybody. You talk to guys. What, what are guys doing to fill the time? I mean, are they preparing? What are you doing to fill the time? Are you keeping up with football and practicing as much as you can? Or do you say, you know what, we're not playing right now, so I'm just going to take it easy and rest the body a little and then fire it up again? Yeah, we're not playing right now. So, you know, there has been two or three months that I, I really haven't done much besides work out in my garage, especially with the restrictions, you know, that are that are set here in Ontario um, for the gyms. Um, 
but yeah, it's kind of that's kind of always been my thing. After the season, I give my body, you know, two months off. You know, so since November, um, you know, I would have had this time off anyway. So I'm planning on planning on get back in, planning on getting back into it here uh, in the beginning of January. Um, you know, but I, I've been, you know, like I said, we opened this business up here uh, in in the outer shot community there in Burlington, and uh, you know. I, learning something new, learning how to run a business with my friend Ryan Bob and, and our wife has been has definitely been interesting and and um, you know it's given us something to do and, and some and a goal to work towards. So um, between that and you know the, the kids that come in for tutoring and, and, and their parents, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun and, and, and we've built some great relationships there. So uh, that gives us some something to look forward to every, every morning. Well, and you've got now time to work on something, more time. I mean, you would have had time, but you've got more time to prepare and then to work on something like this food drive. I mean, how is it going? People are getting to know about it. I know it's been out there. I know there's been tweets and social media and everything. I mean, is it is it clicking with people? You know, it's going well, especially with the uh, with the parents of the students that we already have there. Um, Monday, we're going to all be in office. So if anybody wants to swing by and say hello, you know, have a cup of coffee and and chat, you know, and bring some non-perishables in. That, that would be that would be welcome. It's, it's going well, and you know, obviously, we want to do as much as we can and uh, and bring as much food as we can. So, uh, I think after um, after Christmas, we're going to end up giving that back to Burlington Food Bank, the uh, the bins themselves. Um, so we still have some time to raise as many pounds as we can. So it goes until when? Then people can contribute until when? January first. We're going to have those bins there uh, until January 1st, but we will all be in office uh, on Monday. Uh, what date would that be? What is today? The 15th? Yeah, today's the 15th, so um, Monday. Yeah, uh, so the stuff coming Monday, we're all going to be uh, over there at 645 Plains Road East. So, yeah, come on in and uh, say hello and, and help out the community. Does everybody know that you own this place or when they come in to donate stuff sometimes because they see a sign up saying food bank or bombing or whatever, (laughs) are people surprised when they see you standing there? Well, we have masks on. Uh, That hides it a bit, right? Yeah. Um, But, uh, but yeah, there there has been a couple of parents that, uh, you know, once they find out what my last name is, like, oh, you know, I I know so-and-so in Hamilton and, you know, it's part of the organization, so. That's been cool, but you know, I, I I try not to throw that out there. I, you know, I really I really believe in the system that we have in place um, in the franchise, and, and we're really in it to help help kids out and you know help them get better, uh, you know, and prepared for their for their education. So, uh, but yeah, it, it has been cool, uh, you know, meeting people that that do know that do know who I am from the CFL, and uh, I've had some great conversations with uh, with those people. I could never tell that you're a football player when you say, I believe in our system and the franchise and the direction it's going. You, you could never tell that you were a guy who's been around football in your life. Um, do you, yeah, can people I've give those lines a lot? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? There's been very few cliches in this discussion. So, you know, clearly you're not, you know, that athletic in the, in the, in the cliche way. And you've never been that kind of guy. When, when you've done interviews before, I'll give you a lot of credit. You're not one of those guys that just dumps the cliches and runs. So that's, that's always a good thing. Um, can oh, people give you. money or just food or do you prefer one or the other, or do you take monetary donations or how does it work? No, we do take monetary uh, donations. We haven't received any of those yet, but the Burlington uh, Food Bank does accept those as well. So we're just kind of abiding by uh, by their standards. And, and that information is on our website, and it's on our Instagram page and, and all that. 
Well, I, now I did see that one of the guys who was tweeting about this, I don't think he's nearby right now, was uh, Travis Kelsey, the tight end from Kansas City. You guys were college teammates. I got to think that guy's making 14 million bucks a year. I'm expecting the check is in the mail to help out with the donation. Yeah, I told him to send up. We, we'll we'll settle for some burn ends and uh, a different kind of barbecue there from Kansas City. <laughs> Just throw, throw, send us some. Uh, yeah, send us some coolers of frozen ribs, and, and we can we can send that over to uh, the food bank. Yeah, to yeah, the kid. Great dude, and and what you know, we're in like fifteen different group chats together. So once he saw that, he said, "Hey, I'm going to retweet this for you." You know, hopefully there, there's some people in the area that follow me. So I'm sure out of his million followers, uh, there were a couple in, in the Burlington and Hamilton area. Well, listen, it is a, uh, it's a great thing you're doing. I, there are so many athletes that do great stuff and we applaud all of them because as you know, and, and I think, I mean, I really do think Zach, that you get this, um, the, the position and the, the platform that people like you have, you can do amazing things. And it's great to see you doing something like this. And it's great to see you making a difference this way. And, uh, so again, I, I, I do applaud you for this and I hope the, the drive goes really, really well. Uh, tell people again, where, when all the details, if they want to donate something, if they want to swing by and say hi to you, all the details of how they can do this. Yeah. 645 Plains Road East. Uh, it's a big blue sign. You can't miss it. It says scholars on it. And, you know, like I said, Peter, myself and I, or, I'm sorry, Peter, myself and Ryan, uh, will all be there on Monday, uh, from two o'clock to 8 PM. And, uh, yeah, bring, you You know, we accept monetary donations as well as uh, non-perishable items. Uh, and it's all going to the, the, the Burlington, uh, Burlington Food Bay. And I'm sure that when you're there, when everyone's there on Monday and they say, hey, look, Peter, you and, and Ryan, three former Ticats. I'm sure Peter will love that, uh, that connection to be, uh, to be lumped in with, or four, three former Argos. Peter will love to be lumped in with, the, with one of the Argonaut uh, <laughs> Guys, make sure you point that out to him, that it's three former Argos who are doing this. He'll love that. Zach Caleros. He was never an Argo. Yeah. With, say that again? Peter swears he was never an Argo, so we'll never actually get him to admit that in person. But, I think uh, I saw a picture try. once upon a time. Uh, <laughs> Zach Caleros, congratulations on this great job and uh, great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I really appreciate it. That is Zach Caleros, former Ticat quarterback, now defending Grey Cup champion quarterback of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. No one has won since he last played that game and beat the Ticats. And yeah, you know what? He, he admits it, that there is a, a little bit of extra glee that, uh, that you get when you beat your old team. Look, d- whenever you hear an athlete, whenever you hear an athlete say, the team that traded me, I'm not extra psyched up to play them. You and I and everyone else knows that's a load. So credit to Zach for being honest and being forthright and coming clean and telling us what we already know, right? How could you not? Who is the athlete? Where is the athlete? What kind of athlete is given away by a team and then goes, even if it means that another team wants him? It means one team decided they didn't really need you or want you. Show me the elite athlete with a competitive streak who doesn't say, "Mm, I will show you. They don't exist. Not at the elite level. So as I say, you know, good for Zach. Congratulations for doing this. Good for him for being honest. And I was absolutely true about that line. Zach was not a guy, has not traditionally been a guy who's just dumped cliches and run like so many athletes. He does give you thoughtful answers. And, And you know what? It's good. Way more interesting than the other guys who just 
rehearse their lines and then run away. Uh, 645 Plains Road East in Burlington if you want to take some food. And Monday, as I say, he and Pete Dykowski and Ryan Bombin will all be there if you want to swing by. If you need something to do and get your picture taken, probably from a distance with a mask on. Something to do. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.